Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. No matter who you are, things in your life probably aren't going as expected, whatever that means. But the things you are doing right now, no matter what they are, that's your life. It's not a plan B. I'm your host, Madeline Mortensen, and you're listening to This Is Not A Backup Plan. Hello, welcome to episode four, Making a Home Part Two. This episode is a continuation of the conversation started in episode three, Making a Home Part One. So if you haven't listened to that episode yet, I recommend you go back and start with that one before listening to this one. When I was 18 and getting ready to move out and go to college in Logan, my grandpa said to me, once you leave, you can't really come home again. And I wasn't sure what he meant. I was only going a few hours away from my childhood home. I knew I would come back often, and I figured it would just be the same. What I didn't realize was, in many ways, I would lose that childhood feeling of belonging to a place and a place belonging to me. As I've lived in Logan for the past seven years, I've been working on making it feel like home. And in many ways, I want it to feel like home did when I was a child. But I'm not sure if that's possible. What I do know, though, is that I want to be invested in my community And I want my community to be a place where I feel like I belong and where I feel like I'm contributing. And I think a challenging part of your 20s can be knowing how to invest in a place because in many ways you might feel temporary. For this episode, my guest is Meg Conley, a writer focused on home culture. Meg and I chatted about what she feels like makes a place home and ways to invest yourself into your community to help you feel like you belong. I'm so excited for you to hear my conversation with her. I'm Meg Conley. I've been writing on and off since I was in the first grade. You know, they would say, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I always said I wanted to be a writer. And I still want to be a writer when I grow up. I was raised in the LDS faith. And so when I pictured being a writer, I thought I had two options. I thought I could not write at all and be a mom, or I could be a mom and figure out how to, like in one quick, like fantastic effort, like basically the great American novel and establish myself because then once I was established, I felt like I would have proved myself exceptional enough to do work outside of the home. I felt like I had to prove there was something about my work that made it so that it got to exist. Because otherwise, I didn't feel growing up there was a way for my work to coexist with the expectations of motherhood. As a kid growing up in the faith, not being a mother just didn't really seem like an option. Even though I was never the type of person who wanted children, but it was like, that's just 
why I exist. And I do have children now and I'm so delighted to have them. But it's funny that my maybe natural inclination was to, if not be child free, then maybe have waited longer than I waited. Anyways, so I had the kids very early, married early, had children early. I woke up when my oldest child was like 18 months old and I realized, I know myself, I'm not going to write the great American novel. Like almost nobody does. And that's not within me. Oh, then I guess I'm not gonna be able to prove that I get to have this like work that matters to me because the home is like the work that I'm supposed to do. And so I spent many years with that kind of as an internal struggle. And I was actually just talking to a good friend the other day where I wish I had understood that like a journeyman's work, like your work doesn't have to be exceptional to justify its existence. Like at any point in your life, I would be very happy if I had known in my youth as I was attending college and setting myself up for like my future path, if I had understood that I am the type of person who, for example, is very happy writing a newsletter on home culture. That's like this very kind of ordinary work and like this ordinary writing, but it brings me great joy. And I didn't need to justify my work outside of the house to deserve to have a house with children in it or a house that felt like a home. But I also think to the point of this conversation that's being had on this amazing podcast of yours is that for a house to become a home, like that does not have to be justified by the type or number of people who are in the home. I think so often we, especially people who are practicing the LDS faith, are told or feel that a home becomes a home once a nuclear family is within it, but I absolutely reject that premise. And a home is a home and does not have to be justified by the type of people or the type of work being done in it. Just like my work outside of the home did not have to be justified by being more exceptional or more needed than the work I thought I had to do in the home. And so anyways, now I write about home culture. I freelance. And I work full-time now and co-parent with my partner and we're figuring out how to create space for lots of things in our house, not just traditional homemaking. I love it. And I love so many of the things you were sharing about sometimes in the Latter-day Saint faith, and I think probably in more conservative backgrounds and maybe even more traditional backgrounds, we often think that like it's a nuclear family that makes a space a home. And I just wanted to start out with asking you, how do you define home? Oh, that is a really good question. I've been thinking about that a lot. I'm not sure that I have like an elevator pitch for what a home is. I think at its simplest, most basic, basic in the term in as far as like elemental necessary, not basic as in level, a home is a place where a person is safe and a person has a roof and a person has hopefully a pantry full of food. I mean, I think that we grapple with this a lot, right? It's a difficult question to answer. I do some work with people without houses in Denver, the unhoused population. And I know that a lot of people think it's gimmicky to not use homeless when referring to people without houses, like people who are unsheltered. But I think it's uh, good that we're moving away from calling people without shelter homeless because a home is also more than a house and more than a roof. Sometimes a home is a person or an idea. But in my work to extend access to homes and housing, Yeah, I think that my definition of a home, which I think is everybody's right, is safety, shelter, and electricity that stays on, water that flows, and a pantry with enough food. 
And I think that's what I want a home to be. And I want that to be accessible to everyone. And a home doesn't stand on its own. Again, going back to like this concept that like homes are for nuclear families, another like pretty harmful symptom of that kind of diseased view of home is that we imagine homes as islands surrounded by picket fences instead of oceans. And a home is a part of an organic whole, right? Like a home is one piece of a community. And I don't think there's a way to um, sever the home from the community without harming both the home and the community. I think also it needs to be noted those of us who are raised in safe homes have a good association with the word, but not everyone was raised in a safe and secure home. And for some people, the ideal concept of home might appeal to them. Like home in practice has been very difficult for them. And so um, I try to acknowledge that a home is sometimes where harm takes place too. And I think that's another thing we don't talk about enough when trying to figure out what home is and what it can be. And like listening to your answer, like I noticed a few things. One thing I noticed was the things you like to find as being important for a place to be home. There being access to food and electricity and safety. But then you also mentioned how it can be a person or an idea. So I almost feel like in your answer, there's two components, like these basic things that we have, but then maybe the things that become unique to like personally how we define a home. I would love to know then on that other side, what are some of those personal things that as you've grown and you think a lot about home, what are some of those personal things that you identify as? For me, Meg, this is what makes a place home. Oh, I love that question. Makes a place home. My ideal home, I guess for me personally, it's a place where we can have very hard conversations and where people can challenge and be challenged safely. I think when I talk about like safety in a home, obviously physical safety, but also a safe place for whoever is in the home for their identity and for their hopes and fears and doubts. I think for me, a home also has to be a place with an open front door, like literally a lot of the time, but definitely figuratively also. I would love to be in the position to always welcome anyone into my house. Obviously in a pandemic, that's not possible, but it's also not possible for lots of other practical reasons, space being among them. But I think if your door can't be open for people to come in all the time, then it does always need to be open so that good things from your home are flowing out of the front door. That means community action, feeding the hungry in your community, finding ways not just to be charitable, although I'm a big fan of charity, but to create a community where fewer people need charity because you've been doing equitable work along with charitable work. A home has to have a desk where I can write. And um, what else? I don't know, we always have green chili in the freezer. So that makes up a home for me too. We got New Mexican green chili that we buy in September after the harvest and then, you know, a whole freezer's worth almost. Like we can't freeze anything else in it. And then we cook with it all year. That feels like home to me too. I love it. Are these things that identify like the space that makes it home for you? Are they things that you feel like you've like learned about yourself as you've grown up? Oh, absolutely. Especially because I got married at 21 (laughs) to my husband who is also 21. And we had been best friends since we were 12. Marrying him felt familiar, but moving into like a house together. And because of my, I think misguided at the time notion that a nuclear family made a home, it felt like Even though I lived in 
many apartments and different kinds of homes in between leaving uh, my childhood home and marrying him. When we moved into our first little tiny rental, it felt, this is my first home. And like I said, that is wrong. (laughs) Anywhere I was, was a place I was making home. But because I still operated within that very limited paradigm at that point, I thought making a home was getting married, having a baby, which can be part of making a home. It just doesn't have to be. And then I thought making a home meant changing the sheets once a week and um, making sure all the beds were made and cooking dinner every night. And, um, you know, the traditional homemaking that um, I associated with homemaking, all those things are great. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But as I've gotten older, as you said, in years, but also I feel I've progressed, although maybe not everybody would. I have felt like all those things can be part of a home, but many of them can be stripped from a place we call home and it is still absolutely home. I would love to know then, what would you tell like a younger Meg about making a home? Like now that you have that experience, or even just a younger person now, if you're talking about what it means to make a home, what have you learned that you believe that looks like? I think if I was talking to myself, because I'm much better at lecturing myself than other people, I think I would be pretty adamant that homemaking has a lot less to do with what happens within the four walls of the place that you're calling home, and a lot more to do with the work that you do outside of those walls. In your community, I think making sure that other people can be home is a version of homemaking that someone like me finds resonant. And I wish I had found that earlier because I spent, even though I had done what I was told would fulfill me, which was falling in love and getting married and having babies, my home didn't feel like a home to me for many years, despite the fact that I married a true partner, luckily, because like, geez, who actually figures that out at 21? Oh my gosh, that was just a stroke of luck, like no wisdom there. And despite the fact that I ended up really adoring motherhood, which I didn't anticipate. But I think if I had known earlier that increasing access to home for other people was the way that I could feel at home, I would have been much, much happier. And I think I would have also been happier and felt more at home if I understood that being at home also means being at home within yourself and doesn't have a lot to do with the physical location. And for me personally, I'm much happier and more at home with myself and with the people in my home when I'm working, especially writing. And the things that I thought were valuable to homemaking, but that I do not have a natural inclination to do, that I could just open up my hands and let those fall from them, that would have been nice if I had realized that earlier because I'm just so much happier and so much more at home now. I would love to hear more about what you mean and the idea of being like at home within yourself. I love that idea. I spent a lot of time, partially because of the faith tradition I was raised within, but also because of the general culture I was raised within. I mean, America and the LDS faith have a lot of reflection points. And where I thought there was a certain way to be, I thought I had to be exceptional, which American exceptionalism playing along with LDS woman exceptionalism is like a toxic brew. I thought I had to know 
both dominant strains of like culture that I was raised within are big on certainty and knowing what is right. (laughs) None of that works within me. That's not how I'm built. And so I spent a lot of time functioning as a guest within myself because I never felt at home within myself. And so the minute that I just decided to acknowledge that my layout is different than other people's layout, like within myself, you know, I've got some different rooms and maybe floors with windows in them. And I became more comfortable and more stable. I stopped remodeling based on other people's floor plans. And I decided to lean into what was already there to let people be uncomfortable with it or comfortable. I'm always welcoming. I think I've got like a pretty wide open front door like as a person too. But I also stopped worrying about the people who didn't feel like I was a restful place because I didn't line up with their ideology or preconceived notions of womanhood, either American womanhood or LDS. I love that. And it just seems to me that what you're saying and what you've learned is home can't be truly home until it's truly reflective of who you are. It can't be home if you're trying to make it what other people have maybe told you a home is. It has to be reflective of what you value internally. And like those things will like change as you grow, but working to be true to those is really what makes the place you're occupying become a home if it's true to those and reflective of that. Yeah, I think that's true. I think the only thing I would add is like I talked about earlier, like a home has to be a place where you challenge and are challenged because I'm very wary of a home being like too comfortable for you to do the work that you need to do on yourself and for others. But I think as long as you're incorporating that kind of discomfort, the kind of discomfort that forces you to engage in the work of racial justice and economic justice and social justice, these things that are maybe uncomfortable for some of us. I think as long as you're incorporating that, then yes, A plus to your definition of what I said. Yes. I love the idea that it can't be truly home if you're not growing. And I think that's an idea that like we're pretty aware of with children. Like we have expectations that like children in homes like should have certain things. And so like if you believe in an idea that like people are supposed to progress and change a place that fostered that in them, it would make a lot of sense that was essential for a home. Yes. I really like that. Yeah. So something that I was really excited to talk with you about, and you brought up a little bit, so I'm really excited to talk more, is it's interesting because like we talk about home like as our houses, but we also talk about like where we're from as home. This is home. Or even maybe people have that from a sense of younger, or maybe it's a different point in their life where they really felt embraced by a community and they're like, this community is my home. And I just also think that like when you're in your 20s, or I mean, this happens to us all points of life. I think it can be a hallmark of your 20s is that you might find yourself in many different places or you might find yourself in places you didn't expect to be in and you're like well I didn't plan on investing into this community so I would love to know what's the Meg 101 for when you find yourself in a place and you're like I want to contribute I need to invest I need to look bigger than like my little space like where do you recommend people start oh okay yes so I have had to make some pretty big moves in my life and especially for I'm deeply introverted I am pretty good at feeling at home within myself because I have like this rich interior world. But I do, I have had to figure out how to make new places home, like how to forge the connections that traditionally do offer like this homeness. I have this three-step like proven like method. (laughs) So we've mostly moved to cities our past couple moves that have museums. I always start by going not just to the 
big museums, but the little museums that have the history of the place that I've moved to. If you haven't gone to a city, there might not be a museum dedicated to Oakland history like there was when I moved to Oakland or a museum wing. It wasn't a whole museum, but it was a whole wing. But there is a library branch you know, near you that will have like the history of the place that you moved to. And there's usually like a dusty display in the library with some photos and some like historical footnotes. So anyways, I always start there because the place that I've moved is not the place it once was and it's not the place it will be. And if I want to be at home in a place, I think it's important to understand what came before me, especially within the context of racial justice and economic justice. Like when I moved to Oakland for the first time, I didn't know until I'd been there for about six months, but the home that we were renting was right at the border of where redlining took place in Oakland. And so we were in one of the redlined neighborhoods. And then one street over was where affluent white people could get mortgages. And there were racial covenants keeping anyone who was Black from buying within those neighborhoods in the 1920s. And that was a long time ago, but you could still see the echoes of that were still quite loud in that neighborhood and others. And so it became really important to me to understand what had formed the neighborhood I was living in and also what past injustices were still benefiting people like me when I moved to that neighborhood. Because as soon as you move into a new place, if you're operating from a place of privilege, you become obligated to that place's past as well as its future. So the other thing that I do is I start becoming best friends with whoever works at the local bookshop. And it's the same thing, right? Like it's a good way for me to begin to understand the place that I have moved. The person working behind a local bookshop desk is usually anxious to engage and happy to help you understand. There's always a section with like books by local authors or local history. And again, it's a very good place to get a sense of where you've arrived. And then the other thing that I do is I find places doing work in the community that resonates with me and I follow their lead. I don't move to a new community and try and start anything because I don't know enough. And there are always people in a new community new to me community who have been doing the work for years and years and years. And I find people who are doing the work and I ask them to put me to work. I ask how I can help. And those three things for me are a good way to begin to make a place a home in two ways. It involves me, so I feel at home, but I feel like those three things are also some of the many actions that I can take to like help make a new community a home for other people. So understanding of where I've moved and action to help. I just feel like everything we've talked about, it comes back to the idea of knowing, whether it's like knowing yourself or like knowing the place, like having an understanding and then a focus on growth, like a focus on making sure that like you're becoming better and you're challenging systems that aren't okay and that you're understanding your place in them and where the room for growth is. And then like finding those spaces in your community that people are trying to grow and then investing in them yourself. Right. Absolutely. I love that. As we've been talking or as you've been thinking about this, is there anything you've wanted to share that we haven't chatted about that you'd like to discuss now? A home is a home no matter who is in it. And acting like a home has to have a man who is a father and a woman who is a mother and um, 2.5 children to be a home doesn't serve the people who live in homes, obviously. Because that's an impossible ideal. Even the nuclear families that seem like they live up to that ideal have enough 
imperfect things within their four walls that they feel like they're not living up to the ideal. But it also doesn't serve the truly expansive concept of home. The idea of home is a big enough roof for everybody. And I think that once we understand that home is not exclusively a single family home with a nuclear family in it, not only will more people feel uh, at home within their own homes, but we will also begin to work to make sure that everybody in our community has access to housing and then all the other things that do make a home feel like a home. I love that so much. I have been so excited for this and it was just so good to visit with you. Yay, well thank you so much. I just, I'm so excited about your project. Thank you so much for joining me and thank you so much for Meg for being so gracious with her time. You can find Meg and her work on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Her handles are in the show notes. And if you want to get her wonderful writing in your inbox, you can also subscribe to her newsletter. All of those things will be in the show notes. You can find me on Twitter at Madeline K and this podcast on Instagram at Not A Backup Plan. If you're enjoying what you're listening to, please rate and leave a review. It really is so helpful. I'm excited to have you back next time. And remember, this is your life. It's not a plan B. Plan B.